Hello and welcome to another edition of the Viva Bastardo show, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today we have Tom Hale of Morton Street Partners. He will explain what it's about, but basically Tom is, he could be the nerdiest and most knowledgeable car person I've met who knows about the most obscure and arcane car stuff ever. Um, and he's also totally responsible for selling me the, the De Tomaso Guara that I just bought. So if you don't like it, please address all complaints to Tom. Uh, coming up. This podcast is brought to you by Inbound Motorsports. Now, if you follow me at all on Instagram, you will know that Rami, who runs Inbound Motorsports, is totally responsible for the Maserati Shamal, the Mitsubishi Pajero Evolution, and the Lancia Delta. I've all bought through Rami, so I've had personal experience with him. He's great. If you're looking for an obscure car or fantastic car, an interesting car from Japan or elsewhere, he is your main geezer for this kind of antics. This podcast is also brought to you by Vital Oxide, which is a powerful odor eliminator, which, let me tell you, will be extremely handy for the Mitsubishi Pajero Evo I just bought from Japan, which was owned, I think, by like a heavy-duty smoker for 10 years. So that is definitely going in the Mitsubishi, and then I'm going to be driving it around, and I won't smell like a smoker anymore. This podcast is also brought to you by Economy Signs, who have been hand-painting signs on cars since 1973. They do extraordinary work. They do, they've been doing rally liveries. They've done all sorts of fantastic stuff on cars. I've seen it. It's glorious. Uh, it's very tempting to do it to one of my cars. Be sure to check out their website in the description below. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Viva Bastardo Show. I can't remember. This camera, that camera? Okay, so... Who, which camera? Well, Tom? Look, I'll just look at Tom. Look at Tom. I'll just gaze at Tom. Hi. So, thank you for coming today. We have Tom Hale of Morton Street Partners, but Tom and I have known each other. Did we meet... I think we met in a parking lot at a rest stop. Yeah. About, <laughs> about I, 10 I, years I believe, ago. a uh, truck then, stop restroom area. Yeah. And then there was the video <clears throat> that right. really propelled me to right. fame. Uh, I, you, no one had any idea I was so limber. <laughs> what a lovely intro! Uh, but <laughs> at that time, Tom, you had you did you just moved to New York? Yeah, not too far before that. That was uh, when I was new to this area. And you had a you had that sub. Yeah. What yeah. was the sub? So that was the last nine uh, five arrow. That's right. I think it was a uh, twenty ten. And bizarrely, uh, the last Detroit Auto Show that I ever went to um, was the last year that Saab was at the Detroit Auto Show. Duh, duh, duh. Yeah. But was they it a coincidence they or weren't, not? They weren't in it, though. You had to go out of the Kobo Center and then across the street in the snowstorm, there was Saab. They were that's like, that's telling. Yeah. They were in the Hooters parking lot. <laughs> right. And I remember right. like seeing, uh, and I think that was sort of like everybody was kind of post Saab at that point. So you had to be a super like freak like into some Post sob, as in they were just done with it? Sob. No, because nobody really cared anymore. And I was like, wow, that's an amazing car. There's this silver the turbine wheels and all. And I was like, wow. I always and thought then, that last iteration was a really beautiful car. Hang on, before we descend, oh in, no. descend down the, oh no. the, the, <laughs> the rabbit hole. Is everybody story. already tuned out? We're already well, yeah, sobbing? Lost, like, bye. As my wife would say, <laughs> losing audience. She says that to me when I'm saying, I'm telling her a story and she just goes, losing audience, Phil. And I go, okay, oh. fine. I'll just go and get a glass of water. Tragic. So... <laughs> you let's just start with the most recent thing. Well, first of all, I guess for 
context, you have sold me in a former life the Jaguar XT, XJ220. Thanks for nothing, Tom. <laughs> which, <coughs> which I, I love. Was that me? <laughs> which I love. And then you've also sold me most recently the De Tomaso Guara. Thanks for nothing, Tom. <laughs> which I love. But you are now at a place called Morton Street Partners. Yes. That, and so do you want to explain sure. to the 12 people listening? Now maybe 16. I like to think maybe, yeah, I was going to say maybe like 17 and three quarters. <laughs> um, um, One semi-snoozing. So Morton Street Partners is sort of a take on a conversation between uh, historically significant automobiles and the art, fashion, and design world. So I always thought it was very sort of interesting that you could go to like an art Basel and see amazing things. You could go see amazing design. You could go to fashion shows. And then you could also see something that was just take an old streamliner, for example. I mean, that is that is sculpture, like period. That is art. Some guy, same. I mean, you could go through it like year, material, country of origin, maker. Some guy made everything, even like engines that you would see that sure. Oh, well, that's cast. OK, but some guy made the casting and then made it. I mean, it's like. Everything, to me, was always, why is that not art? Why can that not be in the same conversation? Um, so Morton so you're Street, blending the idea of art and cars, or basically in a way that people haven't really considered before. Right. Is that, is that, is that, is that a fair executive summary if I just made it super way less interesting than you actually said it? No, I think you, you've got it. So we have a space in New York City in the village that... Basically, we each three or four month period, we have someone come in and curate the space. It could be uh, an artist, an art collector, a museum, and somehow they will relate uh, cars with their world, with art. Maybe it's context, maybe it's a design movement, a period of time. And, you know, for the first time, you'll be able to come in and see their world. And then there's a car. But it's up on a plinth and lit with dialogue and context. And it's really being celebrated for, I think, what we, we in our community here have always known. And that's that we're looking at something really significant and well, interesting. Let's also talk about some of the cars that you've been rooting around and finding. Because you're, oh, no. when, you, <laughs> oh, no. when you say, um, well, I can't even remember what you said, to be honest, but when <laughs> which was five minutes ago, but, you know, at a certain age. You said I believe when, it was Saab Turbo. No, no, it's but, right after. Uh, it was after <clears throat> Saab Turbo and before. It. Oh no, it, you were talking about. <laughs> it finding, was a commitment to buy another car. Well, <laughs> oh yeah, that me committing to buying another yes. car. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So you were talking about finding significant cars, but I think it's important to clarify what you mean by that because I think that when people think about significant cars now, they're not really thinking about the kind of cars that you're finding. I mean, I think. I think it's fair to say that for the most part, people feel like, and I slightly blame Instagram for this, that they've seen almost everything there is to see. Mm -hmm. So I feel like what you're doing is showing people things that they've never seen before, like a De Tomas Aguara, for instance, or other stuff. And you and you've been and you're finding things that aren't necessarily because I think when people think significant cars, they mm -hmm. think, oh, a thirty million dollar Ferrari that was owned by, you know, Isabella Rossellini or something like that. But that's not necessarily what you're about. Mm -hmm. You're kind of, it's it's about history and design, I think, right? Right. It's about context. It's about uh, why. Why did this car happen? 
And it sure, all of the cars that we talked about, that, that they're significant. Name some kind of multi-million dollar insta-famous car right now that everybody would love to hashtag. That's also significant. But uh, what excites us at Morton Street Partners, and my uh, that also means my partners are Jake Auerbach and Ben Tarlow, <laughs> Are you reading is, from the uh, teleprompter? I feel like you're a, host, a hostage reading oh, from a shit. teleprompter I, now. I'm on the wrong chapter. Don't forget Sorry. to denounce America yeah. while you're at it. <clears throat> I can also uh, provide our address and mailings. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, but basically it's like, so great. You've seen the popular set. Cool. Those are significant cars. You, uh, you've, you're you very familiar with the, sure, there's F40s and 959s and there's really cool cars. But uh, if you sort of go a little deeper what uh, are some of the concept cars, prototypes, one-offs, cars that were made for a bizarre purpose or had a really interesting context? So that why don't you give us some? Anymore? You've got to give us some 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 of the examples you, you can like the, talk the about. Lead in, because people because people they need to have some meat. Phil's okay. big on foreplay. So, yeah. like, take the Gora, for example. I mean, here's a car that, I mean, that car's there, you know? Like, you could easily Google that. I mean, it's been around, right? But it wasn't something that was on people's radar. And you really have to understand that car. You have to understand the why of that car. And upon first glance, you're like, wow, you know, that's like postmodern dream. Like, look at those crazy angles and lines, and it's super dramatic. Um, but when you actually pull apart, like, why that car happened and why, like, none of them were made, um, it was just this really interesting story. So can you, what, what is, I'm, I'm actually, what is the story? Yeah, so, I mean, everybody sort of is familiar with De Tommaso, uh, but less familiar with the last one, the Guara, and it was really a sister car to the Maserati Barchetta. Um, so it's, I would say the origin story maybe starts somewhere in that mix. Uh, and that car was purpose, purpose built just for a race series. So, I mean, they weren't even thinking about a Maserati Barchetta to drive, right? So when they were doing that chassis design, suspension design, they were just like, okay, cool. So it's going to be used here. Uh, and then you have wild and crazy De Tommaso world comes in, and then uh, Carlo Gaino, which we know from uh, as a student of Ital Design, said, "Okay, I can make a an interesting new shape for this." And but so, why did that? But I'm interested, man. So why did the Maserati race car series not happen? Like it did. Oh, it did happen. Yeah. So it okay. did happen, and they actually uh, also were thinking about a Stradale version of the Barchetta. And right. so if you look at a Barchetta, it, uh, it it's also a beautiful car. I mean, it has Burberry racing seats. <laughs> it has like As you should. no windscreen. And the, the back kind of looks like the forgotten F40 cousin. It has sort of amazing round lights and a grill back there. Hang on and, a minute. So I have a connection to De Tommaso because I have the last car he made under Maserati, the Chamal. Mm -hmm. So... Was the Bar Maserati Barchetta under his re-aegis? I'm had... actually just here to sell you a Maserati Barchetta. <laughs> this sounds like a sales the pitch. The whole thing was a You're sham. just going to slide yeah. a little document. <laughs> you just care to sign here, Mr. Toledano. Listeners, you are now witnessing <laughs> Phil's interest spike. This is how it starts. But, no, uh, but, 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 so was that under, was the Maserati Barchetta, uh, uh, there must have been some overlap. Like he yeah, was, there was. 
Okay. It, it was all part of the same era, the same moment in time, and that's why if you take the body off, you start looking uh, at the Guara. I mean, it's the same stuff. You've got same chassis, so that's why when you you read that the Guara was so purpose built and it really does handle amazingly well, like i.e. like a race car, it's because it literally is. And then they made a De Tomaso out of it, and they put a a much uh, beefier engine in there. You have that mighty BMW V8. Um, so that's sort of what makes it this unique car. And personally, uh, cars sort of out of it, I love postmodern design. I've always found it really interesting. And I, thankfully now it's becoming a lot more mainstream. People really have an interest in it. And I think those shapes, after the amount of years that have elapsed, are starting to really read as sort of correct again. Whereas right. if you looked at some of those shapes, like Memphis Milano with Tori Sotsas furniture, like nine years ago, you'd be like, um, tell me you don't have that in your house, please. <laughs> but now it's like, wow, you have the Sotsas mirror. So we're really in a new period in time. And so if you start peeling away cars that aren't obvious on people's radar or just posted a million times already on Instagram, you start finding these gems that are like, wow, look at the Guara. What was it about? Where did it come from? And you wind up where next scene of the movie is like Phil Toledano <laughs> driving this crazy Guara. Burning the clutch on Hudson Street. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. There, there was definitely no... Little roast clutch. Smoke. Sold as so, Okay, so, <clears throat> the, so you've... The, the Guara, well, it's funny because the Guara, you had sent me... You were like, oh, I've got this car. And you sent me pictures and I saw the pictures. I was like, whoa, it looks a little bit odd. And then I came to see it. And I was just so like the 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 gap between photograph photograph and in person is enormous. Mm -hmm. The chasm in terms of how how like it works physically versus not that great right. in certain angles in pictures. But okay, so there's the Guara. But then there's other stuff that's so interesting that's not even like. Can you talk about the the Citroen, the the multi flag? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So there's, this isn't even – I mean, that's – you see, this is what I like about it because I think when people assume about what you guys are doing, Jake and Ben, <laughs> to read from the, te the teleprompter. Uh, I think it said Ben and Jake, but uh, – Ben? Ben. B-I-N. So <clears throat> what I like is that you're not when – you, when people think of significant cars these days, for the most part, everyone immediately assumes sports cars. Mm -hmm. Two-door, coupe, you know, ferocious engine, etc. But this is not, you're, you're just interested in cars that have interesting stories that haven't been right. seen. So, Well, why can't a car be significant uh, just because it's not expensive? No, I agree with you, you but, I think, but I, think, I think that's really important. But I think that people forget that. People assume a couple of things. One, it has to be a sports car. And two, it should cost zillions of dollars. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. How, how could it matter, right? Because we're in, we're, I, I think that we're in, we're, we live a little bit in that kind of um, hallucinatory era where money makes it matter. And if it's not expensive, mm -hmm. then, then why would it matter? So the Citroën is a perfect example. Right. Um, so that car... It totally fits into that narrative. I mean, you've got the 72, the GS Citroën. So that's in the Robero prone like trifecta of GS, SM, and CX. So it's a four-door. Four-door. Four-door car, Citroën. Um, or Citroën. As you guys, a Citroën, I like a Citroën. The best one I've ever heard, uh, I think, was at Amelia a few years ago. And a guy said, ah, Citroën. 
<laughs> oh, he was like giving he moved the, letters around, he, which he, I think may, may have just made like speakers crack in people's houses. But like uh, he was giving it. But I think we did we talk about this the other day, like how people in this country give like they pronounce things. They give a foreign word. A, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Like uh, a, oh, uh, like oh, it's a French accent. Yeah, they give it a foreign it. a foreign pronunciation, but it's just the wrong one. <laughs> it would be like me going like, <clears throat> "This is genius." <laughs> well, that well, that would make you sound very intelligent. <clears throat> it's got a V eight motor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this car. Uh, so to give you context, so seventy two, the GS was car of the year, and to to sort of make that a thing for the seventy two Munich Olympics, they had four GSs there, and two of them were the Berlin, two of them were the Brake. And they had them hand painted. Wait, hang on, Berlin and Berlin. You got to translate this man for regular people. I know okay. you. <laughs> so, why don't you just no say problem. it in the original Latin? <laughs> <laughs> so you got two sedans and two, I guess, station wagons. Thank you, oh. Tom. Thank you. Now I know, I but if you say, but in the original oh, it, Greek, it's, it's a, pronounced. It's a break. <clears throat> Hashtag station wagon. Right. Okay. Uh, so super sexy. Right. Uh, so. What happened is that they had them painted in the, some of the then flags of the world, and they would put them out there, and they were on TV, and everyone was kind of seeing these cars, and they were corporate-owned, and uh, they were all thought to have been lost because they weren't technically for sale. Um, what actually had happened is that Secretary of the Olympic Committee said, oh, that, I need that for our country house in Venice. As so, one does. Right, exactly. I mean, so For one's country so house we, in Venice. Right? I mean, <laughs> I've been looking for something for years <laughs> for my country house in Venice, Tom. <laughs> you know, we've really got problems. Uh, so she, she did, and that is where it sort of existed this whole time, unknown. So in the meantime... Did he drive it or... These, what? Did they drive it around or was it just... Totally. I mean, it's got ridiculous patina. Like, there's just, like, some of the flags are, like, faded. You can see where they've cleaned it so many times. They've rubbed off the paint in places. The interior has, like, picnic basket and, like, little dog, like, damage to the back seat that's been lovingly, like, hand-sewn with, like, a little tartan patch. Like, it's really cool um, to see the history of this thing. But how did you – because every now and then you'll just – text me and you go on like these European rampages and you'll and you'll send me sort of these tantalizing little pictures of things of cars and that I don't know what they are you won't tell me what they are you're right. like oh this hasn't been seen in 42 years oh this hasn't been seen since the 19th century no, oh I'm... look here's a bust of Alexander the Great or whatever it happens to be but how do you how did you find <laughs> that car well, well yeah this was one of those stories when I was in Italy I was like um what like <laughs> Hold on a second. And I remember thinking, like, wait, Wait, I've seen this before, this car, but, like, they don't exist. And, like, I know that, like, people made replicas and the museum has a replica and, like, this is not supposed to be here. And I was like, whoa, it really is. But wait, Um, hang on a minute. You just skipped the most interesting. Well, Well, he's not going to give up his sources. I'm going to answer you. Um, (laughs) But, you know, patience, right? This is going to be a three-hour podcast, everybody. Sorry. Gather around, children. Uh, So... Yeah, so that's how this car happened, and I think that you can put something like, I mean, it's kind of bizarre, right? You've got, like, a 70s Olympic Citroen flag car that's, like, how bizarre is that? But it's intrinsically interesting, right? So that interest level I can put as high as, you know, name your Ferrari that they made, like, hundreds of. Like, well, there's, like, one of these interesting objects. So just because it's not worth billions of dollars, it's fine, but... 
You but know, just to go back to this, this I'm going to really hammer you on this. I really want to how, know. I want to know, like the, the 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 circuitous path. Like, what were you having? Like a, a cup of tea at a bar, and someone was just, you know, talking to his missus. Go, oh, wash the Citroen flag car from 1972, and you said, "Excuse like, me, sir." James Bond's burning plane was above me. Yeah. It, like dropped into the cafe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, oh my god, flag car! I'll take it. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I'm just curious, like how you, like for instance, the Guara. I know that you, you told me the Guara was the, had been bought at, when the De Tomaso factory mm-hmm. shut down. Right. Some guy in Spain bought the car. This guy and had sat been in stalking his... it. Yeah. Like he knew about the car. Okay, so it had been sitting in his living room from then to when you bought it for 20 years, yeah. which is um, uh, like such an amazing bastardo piece of interior design. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But how did you find out that some random guy in Spain had a Guara in his living room? Like, how does that happen? Can you reveal that or is yeah, that a top no, secret? No, I can't. And it's actually the most simple way of doing things ever that just no one does anymore is that, um, you know, a, a couple of years ago, I had this thought where like, Everything is on the internet, right? You can research anything. Give me a topic. I'll start here and I'll eventually go into like everybody's done this, the rabbit hole of like now you're like this ridiculous expert on this totally wacko subject clips. you can't tell anyone about because they judge you for it. <laughs> um, but then it's like, okay, so but there's also not internet world, right? And we've all known these uh, people who just like they live in the country somewhere and they're, they, they're really intelligent and they know a lot of interesting things and they have cool stuff and they're just like... Instagram's just not for them. But there's like a whole world of that. Right. And so I guess if, we forget that, right? Yeah. We forget. We just assume everything is now accessible on the web. We forget I, there are plenty of people who have no interest in it's, doing that. It's as simple as this. Um, I'm frequently gone, you know, two, three weeks, a month at a time. And I book a one-way ticket somewhere uh, to a different country. I start, doesn't matter, you know, sure, I'll start in Milan, right? And I go there uh, and I meet a friend. And it's just like, hey, let's just do dinner and talk about what's happening. And over that dinner, it can be as simple as like, now we're in like level 12 of like ridiculous car and like, oh my God, what kind of sick person has that, right? (laughs) And it's like, oh, well, this guy does. There's this bizarre collector here. And so if I were to be in New York City calling this guy, right? Uh, hey, I'm some random young American guy, and I want to see your your stuff. And you know, he's just going to be like, "Whoa, this is weird." But like, if you break into his house in the middle of the night and he wakes up and you're standing there, go, "Hey, I don't mean to bother you, but it it's a different situation." Fabric that's quieter, <laughs> doesn't rustle, move. no yeah. poly- polyesters. Um, it really rustles. Corduroy. <laughs> so, um, but what if it was as simple as like just having a friend? Say, hey, my friend's going to come see you. Right. You meet them. It's a respect thing. You might have a nice dinner with them. And then after a couple of hours, they're like, oh, okay, you're just like a normal person. Look at this. And then right. you get led to this garage of just like totally offline stuff. And um, if you just keep doing that and then you reach a point after a few weeks where you've, you know, this last trip that I went on, uh, was 14 days, and I went to 19 cities. So I don't end where I begin in the morning, and it's it, it's kind of crazy, but there's a point where you're like, okay, I can come back now. But in that period, um, I have found, you know, this this prototype, you know, that hasn't, the newest picture of it is from 1969. And Man, this must be so exhilarating. About this. I mean, it's, it's a lot I mean, of fun. I mean, it's like being Indiana Jones on a regular basis. Like, you're just finding the, the Ark of the Covenant right. on a regular basis, right. you know? I mean, how, I, 
I have never had that experience. It, it must be extraordinary to, 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 and you you repeatedly do this to walk in, and you, you know you've gotten through, through some some sort of labyrinthine path has taken yeah. you to this person, and he opens a door, and you see this thing that no one's seen in thirty years. I mean, it must feel amazing. Is that not like the ultimate rush? Well, you do have this feeling of like, oh, there, <laughs> there's it, there it is. Whoa, like it, that's that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Cool. I'll help you take the cover off. And then you're sitting there thinking, like, Oh my god. <laughs> you know, people have literally died that have written books that say that this chassis number was lost. Right. You know, for 50 years, and I'm like in it now, and right. now it's in New York City, and nobody knows yet. So it's really exciting to do these projects. I'm also not being like followed by a film crew where people in like Rome are like, it's Wayne Carino. You know, it's like totally Carini. not that I prefer Carino. It makes it, <laughs> I, I sometimes at, at Concord events will just pick like a random flock of old dudes in cargo shorts and just be like, it's Wayne Carino. And they all look over in excitement and then they're disappointed. Right. Anyway, uh, it helps. <laughs> That's just a hobby. It helps if you do it uh, quietly and respectfully, but it has, it is as simple as just, um, going out and having a dinner with somebody and having meaningful conversation. No Instagram tags. Uh, <laughs> no, no internet research. There's no but phone Tom, numbers. It's online. not real if it's not on Instagram. That's true. This That's sounds true. like such an uncivilized way of doing. I know. Things. It's disgusting. In fact, you're Phil's a pervert. You pervert. Just in some dark room right now, um, <laughs> talking to no one. Uh, but no, it is, it's very fun. Um, I, I won't lie, but also in sort of an archival... Please uh, okay. Please lie, Tom. It's, <laughs> it's such a drag. Um, in sort of an archival way, um, if you are like, I'm assuming, everyone listening to this podcast, you have an addiction and a, um, an obsession with cars. You always want to learn more about them and find out more. And if there's a car that comes out of nowhere that's significant, you're like, God, oh, that's so cool. And you might think about it like a couple times in a day. So when you make it your mission to go out and find these things and you you start finding them and it could take you to countries that, you know, like everywhere. I'm not allowed to go there anymore right now, some <laughs> countries, right? So, and it's just like you're you're seeing these things yeah, it, it's it's not only fun to be in that moment, but the part that you get to reintroduce it to everybody who loves it and you get to share it and you get to share the history of it and say like, okay, hey, everybody, here's all the cool shit that I found out about you, this you, car. You know, you know right? what's interesting, man? You know, the thing you and I share is we are evangelists about obscure things we love. And we really like to, when I find weird, obscure stuff, I love to say, look at this thing. I mean, it's probably less, more, it's probably less obscure than the stuff you're finding. But I get such a kick out of, of people having these conversations with people saying, here's this watch or here's this car. And then like, they're like, what is it? And how, how did that happen? And what's it made of? And how does mm -hmm. it work? And that, it's so exciting to evangelize things that are, that are relatively unknown. Well, I mean, it's it's all about context, right? I said that like so many times everyone's probably tired of it. But I mean, I'm if you tired. go to, let's say, a modern art museum and there's literally a block of granite sitting on the ground, if you don't know why, you're like, okay, cool. But if the artist or the curator talks to you for half an hour, you could very well leave that room and that is your most favorite piece of art ever. You just are like in love with it. And exactly the same thing. So if you take something that... Um, it's just not very well known, but you share the education of how cool this thing is and why and like what, what's the context of this. Um, I think it's really special to to focus on sharing that. Um, 
And so what are the, there's a few other there are a few other things you can talk about the the yeah, see through the alpha is the, pretty cool okay oh I can also talk the, about that the see through yeah. Mahari oh, oh wait I have a question sure what is the best find you've had on one of these trips <laughs> well he he's, there's, it's still top secret right or can so, you say I can't say <laughs> but I can tease. Um, there are a couple of collections that recently uh, we've we've purchased cars from that one of them is a, a extremely significant prototype that hasn't been seen since the late 60s. Um, happy to say that it exists and I mean could like win preservation somewhere. Is this like, the one I is this the one I saw? Might be the one. Oh, up, yeah. Can we get country of origin? Um, it's a car. It's a car. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and also an- another similar story, but from the late seventies, sort of like ghost stories is is what I'm kind of enjoying about that. And so you should see those pretty soon. Um, something that we we just sort of put out there is this really amazing Alpha Six C twenty five hundred Sport. That uh, okay, cool Alpha, right? Awesome Six C, great. Um, but what you're looking at, if you go to our, our on our Instagram where we just posted it, it looks like a 6C pickup truck. And at first you're like, huh? Uh, it's like the, the, the 2500 Sport Ute. Um, it's an right? Alpha, Alpha El Camino. Right, the Alpha Camino. Is it the heavily, <laughs> exactly. heavily patinaed one? Yeah. It's really cool looking. Yeah, and so on first glance, you know, it's, it's like, what? That's a pickup truck. You've got people like, oh, my gosh, I can't stand these people that let cars get to this point. Like, how could they let it rust? Like, oh, didn't you love it? Do you explain it? it was a resto mod on Gas Monkey, yeah. that show... Uh, what's his name? Chip, Chip Foose did it. It, no. it did Bettina the whole if, thing. If Richard only, Rollins. Yeah, Richard Rollins. They did it in like 48 hours. It's God. super cool. It's got a V8. It's got a Chevy LS motor, crate motor. It's got a fishbowl. <laughs> um, but what it is, is uh, it's an it's an early 6C Frecadoro, and it was bought by the Bianchi Racing Cycle team. And their what their need was bicycle, like, yeah, bicycles. bicycle. So they needed one of the support cars to chase them, loaded down with people, equipment, like. But they needed to go as really fast on mountain roads and haul all this stuff. So like they were like, you know, clever guy. Yeah, obviously we need a 6500 sport, right? <laughs> so then they they uh, had it modified, and this was when the car was relatively new. So it has pretty nice bodywork for that, um, and it had a very long career of doing that. And there's this really great hand-painted like uh fratelli montevecchi race team bianchi you know script on the side that's like sure it's like literally cracking off now because of the patina um but what happened to all those cars all those support cars that were modified or just kind of like unsellable after they were done they all got scrapped and so you have this guy that um in, in that period of time, so Signore Mario Regini, who's like, if you Google Mario, Mario Regini, uh, he is like legendary, has the first Ferrari, uh, has an insane collection. Uh, and where a lot of it started was he had quite literally a junkyard, like a scrapyard, back in the period in time where these like super mega icons of the, you know, of yore were coming in to just be dumped for metal. And if he thought, thought one was like really interesting, he would just keep it because that's what you do when you have spare castles, right? <laughs> Bumper sticker says, um, my other castle is another castle. So, um, <laughs> my so, other palazzo is another palazzo. Right. right. <laughs> uh, wouldn't want you as my neighbor, my palazzo. Uh, but anyway, he saved it and didn't do anything with it, but it basically didn't vanish. So um, when you meet a car like this now, um, 
don't touch it, right? Because this is like tangible history. That is like uh, Giro d'Italia that I can touch, you know, from 1953 or 1954. And so mission now is uh, that it is running, moving under its own power for the first time, and you should see it somewhere on the West Coast coming up. Can I just take it around Hudson and burn the clutch? (laughs) If only. <laughs> so how did you... Seems to work, though, no? It's a good sales trick. You know, just have Phil smoke the clutch. That's, and... that's my signature move. If the car doesn't work, I'll buy it. <laughs> you should just cut the brake lines on the next thing you have, and I'll take it sight unseen. <laughs> so um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to that one? Is that... I know you don't... I know you kind of... You're loath to reveal your secrets, but... No, I, I mean, I do, but I can't. It, it was just being there, you right. know? If so you, you if, had, like... If, it was just... a friend of a friend of a friend right. who said... I mean, if you just hang out, right, in that area and you're talking to people, you know, like at this table, like we were just talking cars, like what's interesting, what's cool. You need to meet this. Oh, Tom, you need to meet this guy. He right. likes, you know, that kind of thing. And so you actually go do meet that guy. Right. And he actually does have that really interesting thing. So if you do that, by the time you're in like the fifth or sixth, like uh, link of the chain, you're probably somewhere really off the beaten path that you meet someone who's as nice as uh, Regini and you right. end up buying something very cool so that you can then take it and share it. Does so he like, still have a massive collection or? Massive. So Dun- did- dungeons of cars. Oh, wait, I think I've seen, oh, you know, I Literally think I've seen, I've, I've seen some of that stuff. It is in, du- it is dungeons of cars. Family couldn't be nicer. Cars couldn't be like, they're not restored. It's all, it's very similar to like the, the, um, the Schlumpf collection where it's like, uh, if there's a car from like 1911 and it's got like pea green, like velvet inside, it's it's not you're not seeing it um, at Pebble that somebody's restored, but they think is the same pea green velvet. It, like it is that. So you end up seeing like lilacs and greens and shades of ivory that you've never seen before. Um, so it's really refreshing to see someone with a focus on just originality and preservation. No matter if there's like I mean like the uh, cartoon book like the springs like popping out of the seat you know and they're like yeah sit down make yourself comfortable <laughs> but but at the same time don't touch it right right um so so it's that does kind he drive of any of that stuff or is it just all sort of static no he does he does yeah i think and i've seen videos of some of the stuff I, you're right because when you said that it's all like 15th century dungeons i remember seeing a bunch of extraordinary cars in sort of yeah, one of the obsessions with like the unique object, which is I think you something you share also. It's like if everybody's doing it, it's not for me. Or like you know, if this is if this is easy to understand, I'm not interested. Like catch my interest. Uh, started uh, I think with for for me, it really became an addiction when I started like appreciating and loving pre-war cars. I mean, if you can look at a. Do you have a, a like some sort of vast? Chitty chitty bang bang pre war card. I, I recently <laughs> sold them, so I'm, I'm I'm trying to shop for more. But yeah, they're really interesting. And the the issue is is that if you fall in love with one of them, um, that's that one, right? So wait, explain to me what a pre war card because there's a lot of wars. Okay, <laughs> so like pre Iraq, <clears throat> pre pre yeah. Is it, so you're talking 90s pre first Iraq war. It's a veteran car, so I think that about explains it. <laughs> That's you know, right. right. Um, but no, we're talking about like if if we're looking at a 1909 okay. Renault uh, dual coach, right? So a double Phaeton. I mean, anybody who okay. likes hang a- on, uh, you man, you are the king of obscure lexicon. But <laughs> so what's a double Phaeton? So it basically, it's if disgusting. you think of coach work, yeah. right? Uh, it 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 is a 
a coach, like a carriage coach, yeah. and they sit it down on the car. And in this case, it's like a sport sedan. So there are two of those married next to each other. And it's not even that they continued the roof line. It's literally like one arch and the next arch because there's so it's two, two coaches sort of self-contained glommed coaches. onto each other. Yeah. Okay. And and so what was the point of that? So in the context of that period, if you really look at everything that was around that. Uh, in the same way that, like, right now, if you looked at something like, oh, okay, so if we go back to the mid-2000s and you look at a Veyron, you're like, oh, my God. Because if you're if you're sitting there in the mid-2000s and you look at everything else around it, you're like, okay, now, that's a shape. Like, whoa. And nowadays, we're, like, in the world of the hypercar, like, there's a lot of shapes like that, right? But in that period of time, that was a major wow. So if you go back to, like, pre-1910... And there are literally still horses going down the street. And you have people in, in very basic cars. And here's this amazing curved fenders, coal scuttle hood. You've got this incredible, intricate coachwork. And everything just fit, finishes perfect. And you're just like, whoa, what is that? Right? Also, it's huge, isn't it? It's, they're giant. So so, <laughs> so hang on. I it, just want to – I'm just so curious. Oh, my God. So, is it really about size? For Phileas. Yes, for Phileas. If you must know. But I'm just so. What made you go? You know what I need in 1909. Was it Peugeot? You said. Yeah, it's because I I get bored very easily. Like so, I mean, it's not all about me, Phil, right? (laughs) But I mean, okay. So if you are a kid who's obsessed painfully with cars, right? You're like, okay, I like cars. I like European cars. Then I like vintage European cars. Then, oh my gosh, I thought spokes were ugly, but now at eight years old, I suddenly understand that spokes can look nice. So what is this? What is a Barani wire wheel? So then you get to the E-type phase and you're a teenager and you're starting to like, whoa, the beautiful things of the 60s. And then like, okay. These... And then your late awkward teens, you're like, you know what? I would love a wooden wheel. No, no, it's like, so what? It's, I love it's the fact that you describe of... like most teens are not thinking about yeah. Barani wire wheels. Right. And then it, it's like the evolution of it, right? So what's next? What's next? What's next? So then you go from there to like, I mean, you just did this with like, when you listen to a Phil podcast, right? You hear beautiful cars of the 60s that drove like shit. Then you did the Group B thing and oh my God, they're ugly, but you love the way they drive. Yeah. And then now you're into like the next level of honestly, really cool, interesting things. And you're sharing and educating everybody with it. So like I followed a similar process and it's not to say that everything isn't like interesting and amazing, but there's a point where I'm like, there's a finite number of vintage cars that were ever made. And the, more, the further you go back, the less. And when you get to the point where you're like, okay, like, I am a learned person, right? So now what do I not know? So I know things like manufacturers and makes and models, and they don't surprise me anymore. I know weird colors. So then it's like, what about um, chassis numbers? So what about, like, this pre-war car, that, that specific chassis number? And when you do that, it's almost like my car passion started again. It was like a rebirth because it's like... Fuck. Wait, what? I can start no learning <laughs> chassis numbers. Wait, hang on, hang on. I've got it. I've got to do an emergency operator interrupt here, man. What? What is the thing? What's interesting about chassis numbers? Are the, are, are, or is it that you, it's like you know early sh- uh, chassis number three or something? Right. Is that what? Be- is that what's interesting about a chassis when number? When I when I say that, I mean specifically, or is this some crazy OCD thing? The older you get in cars, yeah, they, it it matters more. Because say that you like, you know, I just sold my E-Type. Love E-Types. They're gorgeous, right? And, okay, what series do you have? What options? What color is cool, right? I made a lot of them. And the one that you have or the one that you're looking at, yes, there's an ownership history. 
I'm like a huge believer that the final frontier that's not on the internet anymore, you can find out everything about cars. But you can't find out about the binder full of shit that comes with this one. That's something that's never online. So you have to actually know that. You have to know who owned it and where it was and and if it was a cool person or in a cool place or something happened to it. That's still not online. Um, So if you go further back with cars, you start getting to the point where like, okay, such and such manufacturer in 1921 made this model and there were like a few of them, but this one is the nice one and it's beautiful and this person owned it for this reason and it has this wild like um friend of mine has a car that they're restoring where literally the lady looked at the plan and she took her lipstick out and just drew a line down the side of it and said it would look better you know and here's the only one with this line it was right. from her lipstick so that kind of thing really fascinates me and the the it, you have this crazy takeaway because if you get emotionally invested in one of these cars say that like art Curiel has this wild you know one of these cars and say it's not even that expensive maybe it's just like too weird and it needs restoration and it's like the estimate is like you know 25,000 euro are and you you're like, talking about Whoa. Your, are you talking about yourself here i have no idea <laughs> no clue but so, so say that you really get your heart set on that and you're like wow and you really bond with that car if you get outbid and somebody else has it then you can't have one. Like, that's it. Why not? Because, oh, because that's the because only one. Because that's the one. Right, okay. And and you just have to decide that you want something else. You know, <laughs> you have to move on. And that takeaway is like, oh, my God, if I miss a cool Series 1 E-Type, I can go find another one, sure. maybe even in bronze, right? But if, <laughs> if you don't get that uh, Delaney Belleville, right, that one, then you're just out of luck. And right. the guy might keep it a year or he might die with it and then you just need to move on. So... When you do you start, not stalk the people on? Have you have you missed cards? Do you not stalk that person? I feel like I you'd be an amazing stalker. That. I can't comment. <laughs> on that. would like to advise <laughs> not to comment on that. You yeah. can't comment on ongoing legal proceedings. <laughs> um, puts hands under table, <laughs> awkward and blood, awkward, but, awkward uh, shuffling. Yeah. Um, but I guess in the sorry that this is such a long winded answer. But what do when, you mean when you really focus on just learning about that kind of stuff? you get super like wrapped into the story of this car and then you'll find photos of it. I mean, you you do this with more modern cars and I think people are used to this with like 50s and 60s cars and up. Like you can, if it was a really significant one or if it was a one-off, like sure, I could find a photo of it here. Um, But when you start digging back to like um, cars that are that old, um, that somebody really needed a reason to like, like like gilded age right to like buy something wildly unnecessary that if it broke here they couldn't fix but they had it just because they needed to tell people that like look i have this ridiculous thing and i'm right. this far into it right and then it languishes and somehow survives two world wars and then uh, and then it's it's somewhere now well actually it's interesting because when you talk about the pre-war stuff particularly something really extraordinary first of all the commitment to owning a car in 1909 must have been extraordinary and it was such an and you would own that car to tell people I have the money to own this crazy thing that you've never seen before. Uh, but also, I think that the fact that it survived history and all the accompanying history, mm-hmm. that it kind of gathers like moss over the course of decades and decades must be fascinating to know. That, I mean, I, I've only had one car where I ever really sort of knew mm-hmm. a substantial amount of history to. But to go back to 1909 and think about what it survived yeah. is, and, and, and to also be able to 
I assume just put names to the like this guy had it and he lived here and then this guy had it and he lived here and, and that must be I'm a massive fan of history so that must mm -hmm. be kind of glorious to have that to have this thing and to feel the the weight of history right within it well I would I would say two things one it's like miraculous that you know I I can get that licensed and put the plate on the back. And if you're going you're in a 45 mile an hour zone, like in some town, I'm right next to you, like, uh, uh, like it's legal. <laughs> I can do it. And I'm waving at you. Right. And it's totally bizarre. But I think that um, the experience of following an interest in that world for an amount of time uh, really had my mind shift to where, uh, especially with Morton Street Partners and what we're doing now is like, okay, well, what about the things that you can't comp or you can't replace that have these wildly unique situations that if you can't have this one, then, you know, that's it. It's that special. And it could be $10,000 or it could be, you know, millions. It, it, it just needs but I love, that I love that democracy. I love that democracy of price. I think that's really important because, uh, as we said earlier, I just think that people assume that rare and interesting is always extraordinarily expensive and mm -hmm. it's so great that you're kind of democratic in that way like the um what's the see the see-through yeah. mahari what's the so we explain well first to... of all explain to people what a, a seat uh, so for people who don't know a citroen mahari is so yeah so a, a mahari is basically like if you've seen uh the old citroen that looks kind of like a, a snail shape and it's like quintessentially french the 2cv right a duchevo 2cv uh they had sort of like a beach going sort of it was actually used in was, military applications yeah, was it well. developed for the military initially and it's got this wild tube frame with duchevo mechanicals so like it's got this little air-cooled engine that always just can it like just won't break is it like a french fiat jolly well, ish, uh, ish. much less. Well, but <laughs> like in a go-go boots sort of way, they were all made out of ABS plastic bodies on them. So if you had an orange one, it was like all throughout. It was like orange. These Everything's were, orange. But yeah. these were seventies uh, or sixties. Both. Yeah, you had like okay. late sixties, and they kept making them, making them, making them. Right. Um, but uh, the interesting thing about this one is that it's a sixty-nine. And this one is just one of a few that was made with a transparent ABS body, which meant that it was like as, kind of as like you do. for friends and family. And it's got positives <laughs> you know what? and negatives. We will make you a transparent yeah. car. Happy well, birthday. Well, I mean, we could, right? And then they realized that uh, they had hang on, to also finish the chassis because you can see through it. So, like, they painted the chassis uh, in orange. And, like, is this a terribly expensive car? Totally not. But if... We are when we launched our company with Kenny Schachter, who's like this awesome artist, uh, collector, um, also been historian. On the show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Wait, hang on, hang alert, on. Everybody, let's just, let's just but, let's but, come. We, we, but we chose the Mahari as the car that could really speak to like an industrial design as art. Like art can be like this as well. Um, doesn't have to be millions of dollars to be really special. But can you go back for a minute, man? When when you say that they made it for friends and family. Mm -hmm. Do you know a little bit more about like like someone said? Do you know what I'd like some daughter of the, you know the vice chairman said? Do you know what I've always loved, Papa? I always wanted a transparent well, <laughs> Citroen like Mahari. You, like how did that enter like like Atlas Obscura of cars? Uh, you run into things like this where there's just like not tons of information. You yeah. have to go on people's stories and then what you can research. And it it goes as far as me going to three different PSA uh, Citroen archive centers 
And um, kind of like you would kind of laugh to yourself, like, oh, I bet those aren't organized because, you know, France. And, what, and, and you'd be right because you find yourself literally in a room that's stacked with tens of thousands of old Polaroids and brochures that are literally stacked on the carpet. There's no organization. And they're like, yeah. So it's in there somewhere, <laughs> right. and we're going to digitize it with, like, the quote fingers, but, like, it's never going to be digitized. So you really have to dig through that. But the story emerged that um, there were just a few of them. They were all different colors, and this is the orange one. And right. uh, it's actually had kind of an interesting modern past, right? You, you see, like, some pictures of it popping up in that area um, in the south of France over the last few years, and it was restored in 2018. Um, but like, yeah, do we put a 250 GTO there to open our company and be like, it's expensive, which <laughs> means it's the most significant. I mean, sure, that's an amazingly significant car, but uh, the humble Mahari worked. And the democracy of like something is special. So like, for instance, talk about like the other end of the spectrum. Uh, so the Renault Twingo is I like... I love the Twingo. It's... It, you're looking. Have you found some peculiar twinger that was a one-off made for like the directoire's, you know, son-in-law I mean, made of bone china right? or something? Totally be on brand. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, if you look at that car, it's like, oh, cool. That's like the Pompidou Center, like as a car. I mean, yeah. it's like quintessentially of. I mean, you know where you are when you see one, right? And uh, so it happens. Also, can that... we just say that's one of the best car names? What? Twingo. Twingo. It just sounds... <laughs> it's such a happy car. It sounds like your button flying off after a very large meal. Yeah, it's like kind of disturbing. Like even if you're in like a really pissy mood and you see a Twingo, you can't... You're like, ah, why is it so happy? Cheerful. Happy, yeah. Um, it's like annoying. But uh, if you, you go have a back thing for a French step, cars, though, don't you? I love French cars because yeah. most of them have peculiar uh, reasons of being. Or like if you take like a lot of uh, a lot of them, a lot of it was like we're gonna do this differently just because you know right. It's because very, we can. It's because they wanted to do it differently. But exactly. I don't think it's a just it's 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 the Citroen think, selling technique for the CX was literally just because it was eccentrically engineered for no. It's not it's not better. It's just eccentric. That's why you do. You buy think that. that's true? I'm not. Sure. I I wonder if that's. I suspect. I feel like that's an outsider's perspective. I bet if you talk to Citroën or Citroën engineers, and maybe I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. I feel like as look, when you talk to a crazy person, crazy people have a reason for everything. When you talk to a, a, someone like a flat earther, they have reasons for why everything makes sense. So I could in, go and, on all day. Yeah, <laughs> you could. You could go on all day about the flat earth. But uh, and 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 in some ways, the Citroën. Citroen is sort of like the flat earth company, <laughs> car company. <laughs> let me just let me just connect this metaphor because they've always made things totally different. But it's not just it. They would I think they would never say it's to be eccentric. It's they. I would argue they always have reasons for every single thing they do. Well, I totally. Would, I mean, and it, and it's not they're, like they're oh, because we're crazy are. French people. I mean, you have okay. Let's just talk for a minute about you. Don't you have? No. <laughs> let's just talk about this some of the cars you have. No, I, I you have two Citroen CXs. Current, I do. Right? Because uh, it's just such an underrated shape. Um, and they made so many different variations. And I was always like, wow, the original uh, Opron design is like a masterpiece. And right. it's so it's like acres of polished steel and just cool materials. Yeah. And, just, uh, and so then the on. last one let's is just great back, wait, too. So wait, why not, just, why just, not both? Well, let's just explain the CX is the successor to the DS. Right. The, you know, the, the kind of Citroën that made them who they were. Mm -hmm. So... I, I love that car. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I would really love to have, have a Citroën at some point. I love them all. The Le Dandy, I think. Did I you hear that, listeners? <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, we have now sold uh, two cars, potentially, <laughs> on this podcast. I was going to say, I think we're at least on the I two think, now. Wow. 
No, but it's like, uh, you know, at, at the time, so the, the DS was like legendary, right? Yeah. And they made it for so long. So when they were engineering its replacement, you know, some of the things were a little simpler. So like, for instance, the CX does not have the multi-directional lights, but it does have like the Duravi steering system from an SM. So they kind of like switched the, that around, but it was a little bit more complex, uh, the build of it. And they had intended, oh, cool, we'll just make it for, like, decades like we did the Deus. And in turn, the period of time that it came out was one that manufacturers started changing cars way more often. So it wound up that, like, they did a totally period design. Like, that shape is, like, very of its time. And when did it come out? In the, the 70s. But do you know, is it mid, mid-70s mid or, uh, I think, early 70s, right? Um, no, it would, no, it would be like mid to late. Yeah. Okay. And, so, and then they had that incredible, uh, who was that photographer, the Grace Jones ad? Yeah. Is that how they launched it? No, that's actually towards the end because oh, okay. it was so dated by that time. I remember 80s, seeing that as a kid. They were ad. like, how are we going to sell these? So <laughs> let's make a, I think on the back of mine, so I have the, the last, uh, one of the last sedans, so it's a 90. And on the back, it literally says... Uh, Citroen CX 25 GTI Turbo 2 with ABS. Right. With wings. Because they just want to let people know that it has some modern stuff in it. (laughs) Right. Um, But yeah, and it's like you kind of have to sample both, right? And they're totally different cars to to drive. But they they had such an awkward phase. So how are they different? Well, let's go back to the Twingo, Phil. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I would say the, the 79 drives like you sort of would expect the successor to a Deus. So it has a smooth but uh, not crazy fast engine, right? Sounds about right. The drive is you just kind of want to be comfortable in it. And it really does take care of you. I mean, it's like a great experience, especially in New York City. It's like awesome. Unplowed field or New York City puddles, same thing. (laughs) And then by the end of production, um, they had put like, the TRX Michelin, so no more tire roll. They had different, obviously still hydro pneumatics, but it was stiffer. The steering's different. They tweaked all of that. They put a turbo on it, which they were very proud of. Um, and it it it's just totally different to the point where, like, I, I, I own both of them, right? And I'm still like, this is not the same model of car. <laughs> right. Even if you park them next to each other, you're like, eh, I guess. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's like um, RoboCop vomited in the, the later one. And so you're like <laughs> wrapped in like a Telefunken car phone and you've got the little floating Blaupunkt EQ. On the little uh, on the, articulated yeah, yeah, stalk. Exactly. Oh, I love those things. And when you drive Wait, it, is that Wait, is that the graphic equalizer thing? Yeah. I find that amazing because I just think, so you're driving and then you're like, you know, I feel like it could be a little bit more treble or mid-tone on this particular... T- Bam! And there's like, and there's like five... To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. there's like... There's, and then really fiddly little knobs right well, like you know how people are always saying oh he I had a like, great life but he yeah. needed more bass <laughs> yeah. um. you know you know what i love is how people say oh in the in 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 electric cars i wish there were more real buttons right. but then you know what how about you have this graphic equalizer five track equalizer and then with these tiny fiddly bits and you're trying like yeah, and and they're taking this car that like imagine you, that you made a turbo two crazy variant of like a deus like how ridiculous so instead of having like whoa it's a turbo it's probably got that amazing turbo no i could be like phil it's like amazing you hear this like when you're driving no it's like uh like dirt devil vacuum cleaner sucking maybe like an old man like out of bed like wheezing <gasps> Right. Like, oh, great, the turbo's on. Um, so, I mean, it's pretty entertaining, right. but uh, 
But yeah, so. But also, always great mid turns, trebles, base. You're never wanting for those. Right. You will Which... always have an interesting reason for crashing. <laughs> That's right.、Uh, but、uh, yeah, back to Twingo Land. If anybody's still listening by this point. Wait, why are we talking? I forgot why we talk about Twingo. Because he's selling you a Twingo. Oh yeah, sorry. Yes, Because、right. we were talking about, <laughs> right. I believe, the democratization of cars that are interesting. They、yeah. don't have to be expensive, right? So like, Renault made a Renault Four Persian with like. Um, Wait, per- like Persian? Persian? Like Persian? No. Is that like、uh, what was that word? Berlina. I would encourage Berlina. What to per- Google? Parisian. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were saying person, but you were having a Genius. stroke. Genius. <laughs> Paris Parisian. Parisian. Trying the <clears throat> the Parisian. Of it all.、Uh, so,、um, what does it have around it? So it has. It basically looks like a Renault Four, and、okay. they made them in black, and they made them as a dark red color. But if you have like you know like patio furniture with wicker caning,、um, they put that on the side of the car just to、do. make it more like oh it's French, right? And they kind of became this '60s pop icon, and they were really loved. And so in the '90s for Fashion Week, L magazine needed something really cool for、uh, the Fashion Week in Grand Palais for 1996. So they had Renault make one. Twingo Parisian, <laughs> and there's like it's like you know this thing is awesome. Finally, I understand why you talk about、right. the bloody Twingo. <laughs> right. So I told you all that to tell you nothing, right? So、um, thanks for nothing. So、Hale. here's this really interesting car. It has press releases. It was in Grand Palais. It's like ridiculous looking, and it's really inexpensive. But on an interesting level, I think it's like right up there with some of the greats that are just multiple times, and they can share a space. They can be in the same room. Right. I think with Kenny's show. At Morton Street, like one of the things I loved about it was he did it in sort of like a salon style. So there was stuff everywhere, and it was like older artists, younger artists, expensive, inexpensive. You had、um, like electronic、uh, types of art, sculptural art, paintings. I mean, everything was there. Cars were there. It can all be in yeah, one room. Yeah, it's full、roof. of you there. Yeah, and if you pointed on the wall. And you were like, "Oh, cool!"、Uh, but you moved your finger like two inches to the left. That could be like a hundred thousand dollar price difference because you could have been pointing at something that was like a hundred dollars. And I think that 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 all being in the same space, being celebrated equally, is something that we don't see enough, right? Because most galleries or most spaces like that, they have to pay their pay their way with whatever sells on the wall.、Sure. Um, so I think when you start putting the message out there that hey, this can be really important. And not necessarily break the bank. Okay, so let, let me ask you a question. I I've what, dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs>、uh, is that the is that Law and Order? Yes.、Oh. <laughs> no, no. There's a、uh, yeah. Is there another?、Dun? Is this more of like a dun 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 dun? It's cliffhanger <laughs> time. I don't even know, know what that last one. That's、was. it. I'm leaving. Get out. Yeah.、Um, Okay, so w- what cars? I would throw in a car that's that I think is fascinating that I happen to have owned, but、uh, and that is why it's fascinating.、Shameless、obviously, self promotion. The, the Alpha SZ from the early nineties. I think there's a car that's not very expensive. That's I mean, it's not almost re- identical A pillar to your Cora. Almost. You、identical. know where? Yeah, I read that in the same article that you re- <laughs> you read it in. It's true. I mean. That's what drew drew me to the Guaras, the A pillar. I was like, hang on, I've、right. seen that A pillar、right. before. Right. No, but I just think,、must、I mean, own yeah, must、A-pillar. own, must own. <laughs> <laughs> you know how you like chassis numbers? I like A pillars, man.、Shit. I collect similar A pillared、wow. cars. But do you know what I mean? Like, look, it's not as individual and as unique as all the things you've been talking about. But I think for the money, 
and it's it's an extraordinary piece of design and also oddly enough like the guara it's kind of photographically challenged but but physically really impressive in mm -hmm. person um what are can you think of other things that are not expensive cars that that would be in that category that, that someone might be able to like like I'm just trying to think of other things. Like, an like how are we defining inexpensive? Are we saying like ten to fifty thousand dollars? Let's say fifty to hundred. Let's say like well, the, uh, let's say as well like sixty or seventy grand now, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could get one maybe a bit cheaper now. But I'm sh I'm surprised. I don't know why they haven't. They're not worth a lot more money because they're so interesting, and this and they're rare in the context of most other cars. I think they're not obvious. You know, <laughs> they're well, not. They're not obvious and. Um, if you encounter one, it becomes one of like the most memorable, like anything that you can look at that you're like, oh my God, they made that? What? <laughs> right. What were they? Okay, That's so great. what are other things that you can think of that would, can you, is anything else spring to mind for you guys that, that would be like that? Oh, attention shoppers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, mean, for me, it's a Volkswagen Corrado still. But they made a lot of those. I loved that car as a kid. But like, you don't see them anymore. I still Because most of them rusted to hell. But for me, that's like a visually interesting car. It still looks good. Right. It should not be expensive. Right. I think any car that you sort of like encounter, uh, I mean, if we're talking like sub hundred, I would say the Lagonda oh, is like God, the biggest sleeper car. out there. Maybe literally also. It's Are they sub 100 right now? Well, you can no, find really? them. They made like how, four of them? No. I love that no. car. It, it's sort of like, so I'm also like an, an ex like multiple 400i haver. <laughs> and like that was like, so many people made fun of me. But it's okay. Hang on a minute. We should just say, I should just inter oh, no. interject that you're a young, you're a young, you're a young gentleman, but you have a penchant for the peak geezer car. Like you're not really a sports car kind of guy. You're more of like a 400i guy. I always want the sports car. And I'm like, I'm doing it this time. And I... <laughs> Always buy the GT2 plus two. That's it. <laughs> right. But, uh, especially like, okay, so for 400 I, I Hang on. I think the Logonda is an amazing. I love those cars. I, I remember seeing one in the 80s. I remember um, one was parked outside my house. Now, this is England. This is London in the 80s, which was a pretty dismal place. But it was white. And I went outside and I was just like, holy shit. I, I couldn't. It was It was unlike anything in England. But yeah, what is it, it William Towns? Yeah, I think, it was designed? William Towns, I think, last design, no? He did that amazing, what was it, like a three-axle XJS-based, uh, I mean, that, you really Google that, like, rabbit hole, right? It, what an oh, amazing Oh, wait, designer. was that the super cheap thing? that he? Did he make some super cheap, he made, like, a super cheap boxy, like, weird-looking box in the 60s or 70s, maybe? Okay, the mushrooms are kicking in. Mm. <laughs> Have some, have some water. <laughs> It'll clean. Just refresh yourself, Phil. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I think in the, I was going to connect the, Twingo? the the 400 and the Lagonda by saying that, like, I think both of them are people say, oh, well, that's complicated. And maybe that's not like the flashiest thing. But in their time period, they were like very expensive and they were always owned by really interesting people. So they have right. these pretty ridiculous history files of like, oh, so and so like uh, had this in this time period. So they're all sort of interesting. They all sort of have interesting color combinations. So at this point, I mean... But if it's between the Lagonda and the 400 Oh, Lagonda. All yeah, the way. Sorry. But all like, the way. end of story. So it, Series 1, Series 2, the, what's the difference in the Series? The Series 1 had the L... 
E D. Well, dash. I, I think the sweet spot because I'm a freak is 1982 <laughs> because specifically June or July. Exactly. Sunday yeah. is a good oh Sunday would be a good one. Uh, but you have like the combination of they change they constantly were changing the buttons, so you have uh, a few different kinds of buttons, and I think 82 has the nicest like old like Panasonic microwave kind of like oh I love the way that this feels. <laughs> this impressive. is a this is this encapsulates. Tom Hale, in a nutshell, the fact that you spe- oh yeah, <laughs> that you Dude. specify mm. 1982 because of the buttons. Yeah, there's no one else I know who would who would probably say that statement. I'm a Lagonda, which is already pretty obscure. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, you, I would you love. A Lug- have... I would actually. I would. I, I have this secret yearning oh. to segue. <laughs> <laughs> that's in- inappropriate, Tom. <laughs> Tom, I have the secret yearning <clears throat> for for. I, I'm looking, I feel that in the not-too-distant future, I will segue into peak geezery cars. Like, I just want to have, like, a Lagonda to drive around, but one that works. Because you're in your sports car. You're in your midlife crisis, like, sports car phase. That's been going for a while. Well, I had the, that's been going for a while. But you can't ever, I mean, I've never had a geezery car. a factor. This what? is going to be controversial. Uh-huh. But you, how many times do you hear people say, like, Oh, these cars are great, but I'm afraid of X, like either maintenance or liability. Oh, no, 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 you, no, you're right. Look, I mean, like, I know that you share my like no fear of like buying the most insane to maintain cars. Um, but like, I do feel like it should be a, people should embrace the complexity of cars a little more in the ownership experience. So, like, for instance, well, hang on, but, but I will if you're say you're always th- afraid of owning it. Like, I love this car, but. It needs this weird thing every three years or, you know, every so many miles. It Then you'll never have it, right? right? So if you just think, okay, well, part of owning this is that, and I'm just going to do it, uh, it might be terrible. You might hate this car and, like, why did I do this? But uh, you had the experience and you got, like, the flavor of it. Right. So, you well, know, also, like, something like Lagonda, like other... I think, is case in point. The, the other thing to add to that is that I find, for the most part, when people talk about cars that, that are, you know, like, the Shamal, for instance, the Maserati Shamal, whatever it happens to be. Why would that come up? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, people are like, oh, when I talk about Shamal, people will say, oh, you know, it's, it's unreliable, by turbo, 80s, all this stuff. But, but for the most part, people who repeat these mythologies are people who've never seen the car, never owned the car, never run the car, yeah. never fixed the car. So they don't really know. They are, they're just repeating okay, stories. Okay, hello, HJ220. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they're repeating stories that they've heard that have sort of persisted over the decades that may or may not have any basis in fact right and and i and my experience has been for the most part if you find a decent car and you take care of it it it's reliable no matter what the mythology around it um so also they were all like new cars at one point right right? so like if you take something that looks really out of date say it's like from the 60s 50s whatever 80s and you're like whoa this is obscure i can't drive this it's like some guy drove it out of the showroom like yes this is my new car i can drive it anywhere and and so like there is a factor right um it's like uh, also the the experience of living with these cars and seeing them in person um you do a great job of like cars you have to see in person right so you have to experience the the dimensions like um not gonna lie to anybody i was obsessed with xj220s from like from the day that i found out that they existed but the first time i saw one um i just remember seeing like like 
adult guys walking up to it and the top of the roof was at their belt line and i was like that's not possible for that shape to exist right and it just was a mind-blowing thing um and so you were a very early proponent of the 220 i remember very recently uh mentioning like oh hey the xj220 is important also and having people like <laughs> right because then, well, then people so unpopular well, of an opinion. Tom. Well, then, then How people say that people then roll out the whole, you know, should have been a twelve, should have been a four, should have been four wheel drive. Somebody throw a brick at that guy. But like, yeah, I mean, and these are all people, like you said, that like, and it's not no fault of their own that they haven't like experienced these cars. Everybody can't just like of go course. drive an XJ220, right? Of course. But um, if if you take a uh, the time to sort of investigate them a little bit, like. To the, to the why and the what of it, um, especially with that car, once you intimately like know the why of the engineering and the purpose of that car and uh, what it did in period, it's much different than reading some guy's report of it from 1999 where he's like, oh, yeah, well, it should have been this and should have been this and it's wildly unpopular right now. Um, and then you know revisiting that in 2021 or 2022, you really need to take a fresh look at what's in front of you and not what you've read that right. you know so that's the most in i mean i've talked about this before but that that car you remember well you took me for a test drive on that car so i met i met tom uh, I, hey everybody i i got <laughs> phil uh in the passenger seat at 121 so i think the whole 120 thing i don't know i don't but know if the, that's accurate we but it was it was a uh, april it was really cold it was 20 degrees um, yeah. The car was on twenty-year-old tires, uh, <laughs> and you took me for a drive, and I was—I was really. I mean, I—I—it was—it was terrifying. Yeah. And then I drove it. Remember, I drove it, and and I drove it. I must have driven for like eight minutes. And you said, "Do you want to drive it some more?" I said, "No, no, that's fine." <laughs> But I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're sort of ridiculous cars because, um, on one hand, it really is uh, like. If you can imagine a, a McLaren 720, but made a lot earlier with a stick shift, um, and so no that, ABS, that, yeah, and no so traction that, control. And so that, like, if you mess up, it's totally on you, right? Right. Um, and so there's that end of the car, and to that extent, doesn't matter. I don't care if you think the engine's wrong. That's some wow driving, right? Uh, like really wow. And then on the, the other side of it, though. Um, what I find really amazing is that when they were developing that car in the early, like, you know, if, if you're driving a car from the early 90s that has that capability, but you can also, like, totally relaxingly drive it, like, it's, like, really anything. Like, you're driving an S-Class around town with a <laughs> right. manual. You can relax. You can listen to music. The AC works. I mean, it, it's sort of a Jekyll and Hyde experience. Um, I was you... surprised how comfy it was, which is weird where people, yeah. you know, I always, and, and it's, it's what's interesting, what's... It's really comfortable. It's the driving position position is lovely. The stick, the shifter is really nice to use. Um, and then I can't remember if I mentioned I accidentally drove it into the city. <laughs> well, after Burger King, how can we go wrong? Right? <laughs> we did, yeah, we took it. To oh, a drive. you were the guy with the Burger King. Yeah, oh. Tom took it. We, I, I, as a lark, I, we were driving and I, we stopped. And I said, "Oh, there's a Burger King. We should go through the drive-through." And Tom said, "Okay, why not?" Definitely. <laughs> and we did. Yeah. yeah. What was great about that was that the employees at Burger King were more concerned about Phil jumping out to take a picture because they were like, why are you taking a picture of Burger King? And right. then you're like, 
obviously I am taking a picture of this car and not there's don't worry there's no problems with right. your burger yeah he, he was really mad the, the supervisor right. Phil from corporate came, came by this weird Jaguar mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. the supervisor came like b bursting out yeah. of Burger King hey what's going on man you got a problem and quality was, control yeah. we're here in the company <laughs> XJ220 to find out <laughs> we had to check more. your burgers in the 220 <laughs> right, we took the King's Jag that's right so okay that's the end of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> this is usually how the podcasts end, man. They just come. Well, there's a... well, no. So I'm curious, though. So Morton Street. So you just had Kenny. Yeah. Uh, who's next? So thank you for that. Totally. Te <laughs> the teleprompter does not lie. Um, no, but so our next show is this artist, Christian Caroni. And you might have seen some, some posts floating around Instagram of this wild Fiat 127 that is all like mult every panel is painted these different pastel colors um and it really truly looks like what is this thing and so his art is really amazing because uh the, the context of it is that he grew up in sardinia and he realized uh through that experience that constantino nivola who is sort of a really legendary artist if you see a lot of brutalist architecture especially like around new york city you'll see sort of like the the very brutalist looking sculptural art maybe that's in the courtyard or maybe on the side of the building and a lot of that is Nivola and he uh, had a lot of uh, sand, sandscape, sand casting. So he lived right next to Le Corbusier and they were like great friends and I guess every a lot of different places in the world actually they had houses next to each other because they're just really good friends. And so... As you do. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. And so... Le Corbusier is super into house music. Is uh, he takes Nivola's one two seven, which is the card that he had at his Sardinia house, um, and he takes it all over the world to every Corbusier structure and building, and he has the car repainted all the panels to match the pastel colors of that Corbusier work. So he takes it there, photographs it, interacts with the community, has dialogue collage. But he's done this dozens of times. I mean, like. It's, it's amazing how many times and how many places he and this car have been to celebrate this like lifelong connection that these, these artists had. And so uh, on the 25th of this month, we are opening, and it's his first solo show ever in the U.S. So we have we ship the car in. Um, it's a lot. It's every single iteration of this car and every single color and every single building that's ever been in are going to fill the walls. Um, so it should be a very interesting car's and art conversation going on there. Nice. But, is this open to the public or? Yes, of course. So okay. it's 16 Morton Street. So it's like uh, Morton and Bleecker. Uh, and uh, we actually met the car um, early on in, in Morton Street. Uh, I called a business meeting with Jake and Ben. And I said, okay, well, you've got to meet me at this address on Park Avenue at exactly 80. And they were kind of like a little like, really, Tom? Like, you're gonna, okay, great, sure. Um, and they're expecting like a brunch and then they show up and it's the <laughs> Italian consulate and Christian is outside in a one, two, seven. It's like meep, meep. And it's like painted and all these wild colors and everybody from the consulate is like, you're here. Great. Get in the car. And like five minutes later, there's four guys shoved in a little one, two, seven with like taxis beeping. Christian's like showing us around like the UN building and, um, 
It was just a wild experience. You know that the I spent most of my youth in a Fiat One Two Seven, or no. a lot of my youth, because my that every time a lot. <laughs> that explains my poor posture, because you know <laughs> it was curv- all the back seat. The curv- it was all the yeah, it was the curvature of my spine. Because we, when I would travel with my parents, they'd only we would always rent a Fiat One Twenty Seven, and I'd be jammed in the back with the luggage and my Walkman on, surly, listening to Van Halen or whatever it happened to be, and we'd drive around Spain or Morocco where it happened to be, and so I spent a lot of my youth in the back of one. 27 with bags right not on the roof <laughs> not on the, not <laughs> romney star not romney star not on the not on the roof <laughs> awesome so that's an upcoming show yes okay is phil gonna ever get a show well why do you have to make it awkward well i'm, just, I'm trying a condition by naguara <laughs> the client insists on showing his daughter's work <laughs> How did this M1 wind up sideways on the wall? <laughs> That's right. Emptied of the engine. It's definitely not Phil doing a show. Yeah. No, but I think that would be interesting. What would you do if you could do a show at 16 Martin Street? Hypothetically speaking. No pressure. Well, I still go back to my uh, collection of Fiero-based Ferrari replicas that I want to amass. Mm. I still, I still feel my goal. You know, my one of my bucket lists. I, I've talked about this before. My goal is just to drive a different Fiero, Fiero-based Ferrari replica to a different Ferrari Concorso. Just want, I just want to show up and be like, "Can I come in?" I want to actually be amazing as a documentary film. I, I want to like, see you do the Cavallino. That would be amazing as a documentary film, and just be an. It's almost like a. It's almost like a Borat. Uh, what's his face? Kind of escapade. Do like you you're wearing like the re- Ferrari cap, you're wearing the Ferrari shirt, you come in the Fiero base, you know, Testarossa, whatever it is, and you're like, what? This is very rare. Do you do the same This is Agnelli's personal same reaction car. every time that they say that they deny you at the entrance where you get out of the car and you look up to the sky and you're like, no! <laughs> An hour-long compilation of the total <laughs> no, I, Dino I, I just series. Think, I think just general, just screaming at the sky. <laughs> general outrage. I feel Does like one a, need more? I feel like <laughs> no, no, no longer. So that's it. I like you know what I like in podcasts: an abrupt and awkward ending. It's like a bad date or a good date. Wrap it up. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm thanks for s- having me, Tom. Thank you so much for coming, man. It was a delight. I mean, that was a real tumble down, incredibly obscure floor and fauna. If that you're we were still listening, around. I'm impressed that you made it through this struggle. <laughs> well, the one guy who fell asleep in the middle of this yeah. ramen, wake up, the show is Congratulations. Over. <laughs> we're mailing you a prize. <laughs> That's right. It's a Fiero-based replica. 